Take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. I want to preach to you on the subject this morning, how well do you see? How well do you see? Jeremiah chapter 5, follow in your Bibles as we read. Go ye to and fro throughout the streets of Jerusalem, and see now and know, and seek in the broad places thereof, if ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. And though they say, The Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have not have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, Surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. I will get me unto the great men and will speak unto them, uh, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the evening shall spoil them, and a leopard shall watch over their cities. Every one that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces, because their transgressions are many, and their backslidings are increased. How shall I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me, and sworn by them that, that are no gods. When I, when I had fed them to the full, they have committed adultery, and assembled themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. They were as fed horses in the morning, every one neighed after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord, and shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Go ye up on, upon her, walk, or her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Take away her battlements, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have, have dealt very treacherously against me, saith the Lord. They have belied the Lord and said, Is it not he? Neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine. And the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them. Thus shall that it be done unto them. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Because ye speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people wood, and it shall devour them. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. It is a mighty nation, it is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandest what they say. Their quiver is, a, is as an open sepulchre. They are all mighty men. And they shall eat up their, thy, thine harvest and thy bread, which they, thy sons and thy, thy daughters should eat. They shall eat up the flocks of thy herds, and they shall eat up thy vines and thy fig trees. They shall impoverish thy, thy fenced cities, wherein thou tread, trustest with the sword. Nevertheless, in those days, saith the Lord, I will not make a full end with you, and it shall come to pass when ye shall say, Wherefore doth the Lord our God all these things unto us? Then shalt thou answer them, Like as ye have forsaken me and served strange gods in your land, so shall ye serve strangers in the land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob, and publish this in Judah, saying, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have ears to have eyes to see and see not, and have ears to hear and hear not. 
Fear, not, fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will, will, ye, will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the, the, the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass, and, th- and through the, though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, yet they, they shall not pass over it. But this people hath a revolting and a, re- a rebellious heart. They are, they are re- revolted and gone. Neither say they in their hearts, Let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter. In his season he reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. And we thank you, Lord, for this the prophet Jeremiah who warns his people of coming judgment and tells them why it's coming. Lord, they did not see that. They did not understand. They had eyes to see, but they couldn't see. And how true it is today that many have eyes to see, but they do not see. I pray that we might be people who see clearly spiritual truths. Help us today as we share this message and use it to speak to our hearts. If there's one here that's not saved, may today be the day of salvation for them. And for Christians, Lord, who maybe have been enamored by the world, help us to open our eyes, Lord, and see how things really are. You've been able to bring the message, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Increasingly, over the last few months, my eyesight has gotten worse. I am in need of glasses, and I plan to get those uh, this month. You have probably noticed that I raised my glasses a little. I had to do that this morning as I read the scriptures. I have more pages of notes than I used to have. I used to in a message that would have maybe six pages of notes. I might have 15 now. And the reason is because I write a lot larger and it takes more paper. And uh, so as I study the word of God and I write down what God gives me and then I preach it, it takes more notes to do that because of my eyesight. Physical eyesight is important, but spiritual eyesight is even more important. If your spiritual eyesight fails, it can cause great damage to your testimony, your daily life, and even your eternal future. If you're an unbeliever and you continue to reject Jesus because you cannot see reasons to be a Christian, you will suffer in this life and then forever in eternity separated from from God and cast into the lake of fire. In the passage we read this this morning, Jeremiah told Isaiah that God was going to send the Babylonians as his instruments of judgment upon them. He explained that this judgment was because of their sin. You would think that with their long history of, of God watching over them and taking care of them, that the children of Israel would not forget. They would not not be blind to see all that God did for them and all that God was to them. I mean, they had been delivered from Egypt, quite a deliverance. God had sent all those plagues, and then he delivered them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea as Pharaoh and his army just changed their mind and came after them, and the Lord opened up the Red Sea, and they went through on dry ground. Uh, The Lord gave them the law through Moses, and it was so evident what God was doing. In fact, they were scared to death when they saw the Lord on the mount, and the mount quaked, and and they asked Moses, look, you you go talk to God. We don't want to because we're scared. Uh, They had seen God provide for them in the wilderness. 
and given them manna every day and given them quail to eat and provided for them and even gave them a water out of a rock. They had seen all that. They saw the Lord conquer, uh, conquer the land of Canaan for them and, and Joshua had led them into battle. Uh, they knew this was in their history. They knew all about it. They knew that the reason God did that was because he was judging the Canaanites for their sin. And he was driving them out and destroying them because they were so sinful. They also knew that God had disciplined them down through the years since that. And so the people in Jeremiah knew who God was. They knew all the history, and yet they turned against the Lord. Unbelief had caused their spiritual eyesight to grow dim. They couldn't, couldn't see how foolish they were. They were acting, and they couldn't see how God, could, a holy God, could take care of them and provide for them and how a holy God would judge them for their sin. They just couldn't see it. So Jeremiah laid out a long list of their sins. He reminded them what they had been doing that brought them to the place where the Babylonians were getting ready to come down and to take them into captivity. He told them about their sin in this passage. He said they, re- they refused to receive God's correction and they made their faces harder than a rock in, in rebellion against God. They refused to return to the Lord. In fact, they turned to other gods instead of the Lord. They committed adultery. They committed adultery in the harlots' houses and even with one another's wives, they committed adultery. They rejected God's prophets and would not listen to what he had to say. And so uh, he spells out all this. And as a result of their sin, they were foolish without understanding. They were deceived by their sins and they had eyes that couldn't see and they had ears that couldn't hear spiritually. They were blind to what God was doing, what God would do, and what God could do. Other prophets gave the same estimation or diagnosis of these people's problems. Isaiah said it like this in chapter 6, verse 9, and he said, Go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but proceed not. Ezekiel said it like this in Ezekiel 12 too, Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. And then many years later, uh, many years later, the conquering of uh, Jerusalem by the Babylonians took place in 586 B.C. So many years later, when Jesus walked on this earth, he said this, For this people's heart is waxed gross, Their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts and should be converted, and I should heal them. They still had the same problem. Now, a little over 2,600 years later, we still face the same problem. Most people have the same problem with their spiritual eyesight as they did back in those days. They have eyes to see, physical eyes, but they cannot see. Very important truths in the spiritual realm are missed because they cannot see. A sin has a way of blinding people so they cannot see the danger they are in and they cannot see the good things that they could have from the Lord because sin has blinded their minds. So as we consider the spiritual eyesight today of ourselves, uh, we need to uh, ask the question, how well do you see? How well do each of us really see? Can we detect Satan's counterfeits? Last, last time we had a youth meeting, two weeks ago on a Sunday night, I talked to the kids about Satan's counterfeits. Do we see Satan's counterfeits? Do we recognize it for what it is? 
Can you recognize the opportunities for God's blessings in your life, or do you let those opportunities go, never realizing what it was that God was trying to do or the opportunity he was giving you? Satan wants to cheat us out of God's best, so we need to make sure that our spiritual eyesight is good. Now, before we go on and talk about what we cannot, what, what can we see, how well do we see, I need to say that in order to have your spiritual eyesight right, you first of all have to know the Lord. And then after knowing Christ as your Savior and trusting Him as your Savior, it's the Word of God that keeps our spiritual eyesight the way it should be. It's the Word of God that keeps us keen to, uh, to the deception of the devil. It's the Word of God that keeps us, uh, helps us to know what is right and what is wrong. It's the Word of God that keeps us from calling good evil and evil good. It's the Word of God that keeps us sharp spiritually, so you have to have the Word of God. You need to be in church. You need to be in the Word yourself. You need to be talking to the Lord, reading His Scripture, so that you can keep your spiritual eyesight like it should be. So how well do, you, do we see? First of all, how well do we see the preeminence of the Savior? The preeminence of the Savior. Now, all of us know, and I think you understand, maybe there's somebody who's not saved here today, I don't know. But if it's true, we need to understand this, the preeminence of the Savior. And that is, there is one Savior and only one. There's one way to heaven. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says there's one God and mediator between God and man. The prophets said, uh, the Lord told the prophets, he says, is there any other God? I know not any. Now, if God himself doesn't know of any other God, there is no other God. There is only one God. And the Bible says that God made the earth and God sent his son to this earth. I mean, here's the earth and they, people might have a whole bunch of religions, but that doesn't matter. God says, I am one God, and one God sent one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth. So if a religion denies the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they're wrong. It doesn't matter. People say, well, you're, you're short-sighted or you're, or you're narrow-minded if you say there's one way to heaven. No, there is one way to heaven, and only one. And Jesus said that. Either that's true or he's a liar. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So how well do you see the preeminence of the Savior? There is one Savior. Then also another question is this. How well do you see the person of Satan? The per- person of Satan. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15 says that Satan's uh, ministers disguise themselves as ministers of light. But they're just like the devil. The devil disguised himself as a minister of light, but he's really a minister of darkness. And so the Lord says that that Satan is a deceiver and he deceives people. You see, Satan is made to look like your friend, but he's really not. He's your enemy. He's an enemy of people. 2 Timothy 2, verse 6, speaking of those who needed repentance, it says that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him as his will. The devil likes to take captive people. And if you listen to the devil, you are being deceived because he is taking you captive. And you don't take people captive and have a good intent for that. You take people captive because you have an evil desire, an evil intent for them. And that's what the devil does. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, the devil is not your friend, he's your enemy. The devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may cripple. No, it doesn't say that. 
as a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy, devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. The devil loves to take young people and tear their life apart. He loves to take older people and tear their life apart. He loves to take marriages and tear them apart. He likes to take the relationships between parents and their children and tear it apart. The devil's in the, in the, in the business of destroying. He wants to devour you. So he's not your friend. He's your enemy. Satan is made to look like a truth teller, but he's a liar. John chapter 8 verse 44 says he's a liar and the father of it. So the Satan is a liar. He never tells the truth. And if he tells something that is true, it has, a, has an ulterior motive to do that. He's deceiving you in some way. He's going to trap you. He is a liar. And so if you follow the devil, and you say, well, how do I know I'm following the devil? Well, if you're doing something that God says not to do, if you're doing something that the Word of God does not approve of, then you're following the devil. You're following the devil because he's the one that wants to lead you away from the Lord. And so uh, he's not a truth teller. He's a liar. And Revelation chapter 20 says, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. When he finally comes to his end, who, how is he described? The devil that deceived them. So if you follow the devil... You're following some who's deceiving you. He's a liar. Satan is made to look like an angel of light, but he's an angel of darkness, as we said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Ephesians 6 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle against the forces of darkness. We wrestle against those things. And uh, the, the devil is a minister of darkness, not of light. He will darken your life. And he will destroy your life. Satan is made to look like a winner, but he's a loser. And don't forget that, young people. If you choose to follow the devil, you're choosing to follow a loser. He ends up in the lake of fire and brimstone forever and ever. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says, And if you follow the devil, you'll do the same thing. He's not a winner. He's a loser. He will tell you, oh, if you do this, I mean, it's fun. You'll, you'll win. You'll have a great time, and everybody else is doing it. He's a loser. Don't follow a loser. The Lord's the winner. The devil is the loser. Also, how well do you see the perverseness of sin? How well do you see the perverseness of sin? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. This is a good picture of the perverseness of sin. And we read it in verse 13, or verse, beginning in verse 3. It says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. So here's a beautiful woman, and uh, she's a strange woman. That means she's not for you. <laughs> if you're married, it's not your wife, it's somebody else. That's a strange woman. If, uh, if, you're just, if you're not married and she's wanting to lead you into sin, that's a strange woman. And so you shouldn't, do that, didn't, shouldn't follow her. But she doesn't appear that way. It says uh, her lips, are, uh, lips of a strange woman are as a honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than oil. But notice this. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Well, that changed in a hurry, didn't it? Let, lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that they can, thou canst not know them. Hear ye now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. 
Remove thy way far from her, and come not near the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despiseth reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teacher, nor inclined mine ear unto them that instructed me. You see, she deceives, and that's the way it is with sin. Perverseness of sin. The passage clear, clearly, clearly illustrates that, that, the, that uh, sin is a lie, and it does not tell you the truth. You see, sin deceives. Uh, sin promises advancement, but brings uh, adversity. It promises blessing, but brings blight. It promises comfort, but brings concern. It promises delight, but brings discomfort. It promises enjoyment, but brings eternal grief. It promises fulfillment, but brings frustration. It promises glee, but brings gloom. It promises happiness, but brings helplessness. Sin deceives, and it will always deceive you. Don't follow sin. You will be deceived. Also, sin disguises. Sin puts on the disguise of something better than what it is. The devil does that, and sin that he proposes to you does that. It always looks like it's good. You see, sin shows you Lot at Sodom's gate, but hides from you the truth of the disgrace that Lot experienced with his daughters. It's, it shows you some, uh, Samson's love affair with Delilah, but doesn't show you his blind eyes and his slavery. Sin shows you David's night with Bathsheba, but hides the murder of Uriah, the death of the baby boy, the, da- the daughter's rape, Amnon's death and Abraham's revolt, or Absalom's revolt and death. All that was involved in that sin, that one night of sin with Bathsheba. Uh, he ended up murdering Bathsheba's husband. Uh, their baby, Bathsheba, and David's baby died. And then his daughter was raped by his son. That son died by the son of Absalom. And then Absalom died himself. All of that because of that sin. But sin will show you the night affair and the fun and all of that, but it won't show you the result. Sin will show you the the high that you receive on drugs, but it will hide from you the dependence that will come with that. It hides from you the loss of your job, and it hides from you the possibility of you dying. Just recently in this community, we've had several people who died, young people who died because of, of drugs. You see, sin disguises It'll make it look like it's fun, but it's not. Alcohol's fun is shown to you, and it'll be the advertisements, you know, and, and shows the people having a great time, and they're drinking, and they're all the time doing that. It bothers me, these cop programs, you know. I don't like too many of them anyway. But uh, what do they do, these cops who tell you not to drink and drive? <laughs> they get off the, off the job, and they go right to the bar. And they're all drinking together. And they're having a good time, it seems like. Sin will show you alcohol's fun, but it will not show you the broken health that it brings, the broken home that it brings, the broken skill that it brings. As I've told you before, I remember as a kid, my dad hiring a man uh, uh, in the community to uh, help him with building his house, doing the finished carpentry. And this man had lost most of his skills, lost his tools, lost all of that because of drink. And it was a sad thing, but Dad felt for him and wanted to help him, and, and he worked with him, and, and the guy did a pretty good job. 
but he had lost so much because of alcohol. Sin will show you the fun, but it won't show you the results. Remember, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to stray. Sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And sin will charge you more than you ever wanted to pay. Sin is a deceiver. And so we have to be able to see, we have to have spiritual eyes to see the perverseness of sin. Also, how well do you see the priority of substance? The priority of substance. The world gives gives great priority to substance, but this reasoning comes from poor eyesight. You know, you think back about back when the gold rushes took place, back in the 1800s, and there would be a gold rush, and people would think they were going to get, get rich quick, and some of them did. But what was the result of that? People became envious, and, and greed took over, and, and people sometimes killed somebody else to get their claim. And, and uh, it found that, they found out that this, this uh, claim and this, this gold didn't bring all the happiness that it was supposed to. Because they put the priority on substance. They, they thought this is the best thing that you can have. I looked up just the other day about uh, gold nuggets. I was surprised how, some of the, how big some of the gold nuggets are. And uh, a lot of those were found back in the 1800s. But I found, the, I think it was the fourth largest gold nugget. And it weighed over 3,000 3, ounces which had been, I think it was 209 pounds, I figured it out. And I believe it was found in Australia, but it was found in, it was found in um, 2018, not too long ago. And uh, they figured that there's, in that gold nugget, there were 2,400 ounces of gold. The other day I heard that gold, I think, hit $2,000 an ounce. I figured it up, that would be $4,800,000 for a, a rock. It weighed 200 pounds. Now, I ask you this morning, if you had the privilege of somebody giving you that rock with no strings attached, and you could have everything that it cost, that that was worth, you could cash it in, you could sell it $4,800,000, and all you had to do was give up your godly reputation as a godly man or a godly woman. And uh, would you do it? I wouldn't. Somebody asked me the other day about a lottery ticket. I've said I never bought one. I also said this. I added this. If somebody gave me one and assured me that it was a winner, I would not turn it in. You wouldn't? What was a million dollars? You wouldn't? No, I wouldn't. And I said this. My reputation is worth more than a million dollars. What do things mean to you? Are things the priority? That determines why you're willing to give to the Lord, or if you're willing to give to the Lord, whether you set a priority on, on, on trusting the Lord and serving Him and doing what He wants you to do. But um, many people make things priority. They'll miss church because of it. They won't give because of it. They'll do all kinds of things because their desire for things. Things have to be a priority in their life. God says if we have spiritual eyesight, we will see the priority of substance is not a great priority. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 11, verse 4, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Proverbs 22, verse 1, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. 
Mark 10, verse 24, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. So because so many times trusting in religion, in riches, cancels out trusting in God. And sometimes people will give it up for things. They'll give up trusting the Lord for things. That's their priority. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Remember, the rich man in Luke 16, he fared sumptuously every day, and then he died. And when he died, guess what he left? He left it all, just like everybody else does. And he went out of eternity begging for one drop of water to cool his tongue because he was in hell, and he's still there. He never gets out. The only time he'll get out of hell is when God delivers hell up before him and then he casts them into the lake of fire forever and ever. And so that's, a, that's a, not a very, that doesn't show that uh, riches are worth that much. When you can lose it all and then the result is also you go to hell forever and ever. If you have nothing but Jesus, you have everything. If you have everything but Jesus, you have nothing. The priority of substance it's really not a priority. The priority is to trust the Lord. How well do you see the perishing of the sinner? John three sixteen says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What's perish mean? Perish means the eternal loss of well-being. The eternal loss of well-being. If you die without Christ, you'll perish forever and ever, and ever. No good things in hell. No good things. Just think of good things. I was holding our, grand, our youngest grandchild yesterday, and he's so precious, you know, and he's so sweet, and I just enjoy holding him and hugging him. But you know, in hell, there will be no, no such thing. There'll be, not be a cool breeze. There'll not be a drink of water. There'll not be any friendship. There'll be no parties. There won't be anybody saying, um, can you come over and help me? No, everybody will be concentrated on their own pain and they're screaming throughout eternity in pain because they've rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. You see, um, to die without Jesus is to perish. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God and the salvation. The cross and the preaching of the cross seems foolishness to people. But those people are the ones who are perishing. I would not trade places with them at all. I do not want to perish. Perish. Unbelievers, do you understand what it means to perish? Do you understand that when, if you die without Jesus, the moment you die, it will be absent from your body, and it won't be present with the Lord. It'll be present in hell. That's a terrible thing, perishing forever and ever. And then I ask believers today, do we understand what it means to perish? Do we understand what it means for a loved one to perish forever? I know a lady, and you probably know her too, but I won't mention who it is, but she lost her husband several years ago, and uh, he was not saved. And she told me one time, she said, Pastor, I can't think about it. I, can't, I just can't, I just refuse to think about it. 
that he's rejected Jesus and he's forever lost. I just have to make myself not think about it. Perishing of the lost, that's a terrible thing. But do we see that? Can we see or do do our spiritual eyes allow us to see the reality of that? The perishing of the sinner? It's a terrible thing and I hope that we will make sure that we don't perish, but we'll trust Jesus and do our best to, to lead others to come to know the Lord as Savior. Also, how well do you see the provision of the Savior? The provision of the Savior. 1 John 5, verse 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. God provides for us much through the Lord Jesus Christ. So much. Do we have spiritual eyes to see how valuable Jesus is to us? How much we owe to him. The Bible says if you have the Son, you have life. And if you have not the Son if you have the Son of God, you have not life. So if you have Jesus, if you've trusted him as your personal Savior, he's yours. You have eternal life. But if you don't, you don't have eternal life. And to die would be to die and go to hell. You see, Jesus provides forgiveness. That's a wonderful blessing. Forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Jesus provides a right standing before God. Some people think that when they die, they're going to go out into eternity, and God's going to examine them and determine whether you've been good enough, your good outweighs your bad, or if you've been religious enough, or if you've joined this church, or if you've done that. God's not going to do that. In fact, your eternal destiny is already decided. The Bible says in in John 3, 18, If you don't trust Jesus Christ, you're already condemned. So it's already decided. You're condemned. And if you die like that, there's no judgment needed. You go straight to hell because the judgment has already been passed. If you reject Jesus, you're already condemned. But if you trust Jesus, you have a right standing with God. And you don't have to worry about standing before God and say, hoping, oh, I got hope I got all my ducks in a row. You know, I hope all my, have my, all my good things up there and, and God can see how good I've been. You don't have any of that to worry about. Because if you trust Jesus as your Savior, you have a standing with God. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. You are accepted in the beloved. Somebody ask, if somebody asks you the question, oh, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? What would your answer be? Would you start by saying, well, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've, I've been pretty good. And I, would you start listing your goodness? If that's true, you're not going to make it. Why would you go to heaven? The only answer that you can have is because Jesus is my Savior. All that I have is Jesus. All that I plead is Jesus. If I, go to, if I die tonight and the Lord would ask me why I would let you into heaven, that will never happen, by the way. God already knows that, but my answer would have to be, the only reason, Lord, you would ever let me in heaven is not because I deserve it. It's because Jesus is my Savior. I trust what he did for me. He paid for all my sins. He died, he was buried, he rose again from the third, on the third day. He paid for all my sins. I trust what he did. And if you trust what Jesus did, you have acceptance before the Lord. Romans 3, verse 26 six says, We have his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. He's our justifier. He's the judge that stands there. You've trusted Jesus, and he says, I declare you to be righteous. 
You have to be righteous to get to heaven. God says, I declare you to be righteous. Lord, how can you declare me to be righteous? How can you make that statement that I'm righteous? Because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. He forgave all of your sins, and he will give you his righteousness applied to your account. And so when God looks at us, he says, you're righteous because you have the righteousness of Jesus. And we're accepted in the beloved. You see, what we have by, by knowing the Lord is so important. He provides for us that, uh, that thing that we need, and that is to be accepted by God. Romans 8 says, this, says like this, We are children of God and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Jesus also provides constant access to God. Because of Jesus, we have access to God. Now, if you're not saved, you might think you can pray, and you can, you can pray. You might think that God listens. Oh, yes, he listens because he knows everything that's going on. I mean, he hears, he hears everybody. He knows what they're doing. But as far as you having a right to approach him and him guaranteeing that he'll listen to you, and no, you don't. You have no right to pray because your sin stands in the way. And so the only way you can have bold access to the Lord is through Jesus Christ. He paid for your sins. He took away all that stands in the way. It's all paid for, and there's open access to God. You don't have to go through a person. You don't have to go through a priest or a preacher or anybody else. You can go right to God. And you as a Christian, because you've trusted Jesus, you can say anytime, Lord, and when you do, immediately God listens. And God listens to what you say. In fact, he says, you have not because you ask not. And he says, come boldly unto me and let your request be made known unto me. The Lord wants us to pray. And we have that because of Jesus. Jesus provides for us protection. He provides for us provisions. He provides for us guidance. He provides for us peace. Hebrews chapter 13 13 says, he's my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Philippians 4, 19 says, my God shall supply all your need. So he gives me supply. It says in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So he gives you a direction. Uh, the Lord gives you peace. He says in that passage in John 14, he says, uh, I will give you peace. My peace I give unto you. And so you have peace with God. All of these we have, this we have because of Jesus. And Jesus provides that eternal life and that promise of a home in heaven. See, if our spiritual eyes are open, we can see how valuable Jesus is to us. Without him, we would have nothing. Without him, we could do nothing. Without him, with him, we have everything that we need, everything. All that we really need is found in Jesus. How well do we see that as Christians? Do we go around as defeated people just wishing we had a better life? Do we go around discouraged because we don't realize what we have in Jesus and what he means to us? You see, Jesus is the source of all blessing. And if we have him, we have wonderful provisions from him. Also, I want to ask this question as we close. How well do you see the pleasure of salvation? You see, all of us are Christians, or most of us are Christians, because I don't know everybody's heart. It might be that somebody's not. Uh, you and God know that. But if you're a Christian, you have all that we've just mentioned about what you have in Jesus. But the question is, are we happy in it? 
Do we enjoy it? Do we enjoy our salvation? All that we have in Jesus should bring real satisfaction. We should enjoy the salvation uh, that we have. You see, the world is looking for what we have. The world's looking for what we have. They think if they have that, they will be happy. And we have it. Now, what do, you, what do you, what I mean when I say the world's looking for what we have? Well, the world seeks for importance. You know, people trying to go the ladder of success and uh, maybe have a, a name, a, a degree behind their name or a, a, a title that they have or an office door with their name on it. Uh, they're wanting success. They're wanting importance. They want that. We have it. How more important than can you get? than a child of the king, a child of God, an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I mean, that is really important. I like that song. Uh, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. And uh, you might not have a lot of things. I remember that story about uh, an evangelist. I forget his name right now, but they had a movie out on him years ago. And his wife is going through lots of problems. And and all these medical bills were piling in. And when he'd go to the hospital, they, the people in the, in the office would come out and talk to him about it. Look, you got all these bills. How are you going to handle them? And he finally said to them, look, you don't have to worry about those bills. My father's rich, and he's going to pay it for it. And they said, oh, okay. So he got on the door, on the elevator, and the door shut. And he was the only one looked, and he said, Father. I thought, praise the Lord. <laughs> And he said, Father, and he told the Father about his need, and God met those needs. You see, the Lord is the one who provides for us, and we we need to be happy about that. That They seek importance. We have it. We're a child of the king. The world also seeks wisdom, and we have that. The Bible says that we are wiser than our teachers many times. You are wiser than the people in, in, in Washington. Well, that's not hard to figure out these days. <laughs> but we are because we know Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Uh, the Lord gives us the scripture and it gives us wisdom beyond the wisdom that the world has. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. The world wants wisdom. We have wisdom. It's found in Jesus Christ and his word. And we can know the truth. When people today don't know what the truth is, we can know the truth. And we have wisdom that the world seeks after. The world seeks important relationships. We have it. I mean, they want relationships. You know, have you ever been around a person who's a name dropper? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know so-and-so, and I know so They try to impress you by the fact that they know cer- certain people. Well, I'd like to impress you this morning. I know personally the creator of the universe, <laughs> and so do you. And you might not be that impressed because you know him too. <laughs> but he's my savior, and he's my friend. And they want important relationships. We have important relationships. We have the relationship with God and, uh, and His Son and, uh, and the Holy Spirit. We have that relationship. We have relationships with one another. Many of you have testified that some of your closest family is church family. And that's so good. And we have that privilege of having a church family. 
The Lord gives us these important relationships. Also, the world seeks pleasure, and we have it. The world seeks pleasure. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but that season surely soon goes away. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In thy presence is fullness of joy. Now we think of that, and it no doubt is talking about that as well, that in the presence of the Lord, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In thy presence is fullness of joy. But you know, the Lord says, I will never leave you and never forsake you. So he's with us all the time. There's no such thing as a God-forsaken place because God is everywhere. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have a special relationship. He says, I am with you always. In fact, I live inside of you through the Holy Spirit. So if the Lord is present with us all the time, shouldn't it be true that in thy presence is fullness of joy? Shouldn't we have fullness of joy in the times of trouble and trial? Shouldn't we have that peace of God that passes understanding in the time of troubles and trials. The world wants that. The world wants that joy, that want that wants that pleasure. We have it. Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I stood over the bed of Clay Meenick the other day. He was getting close to, to death. And I quoted that passage, and I said, Clay, I said, God's been good to you through your life. But that goodness isn't going to quit because soon you're going to go to heaven and there'll be wonderful things there. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, we as Christians have what the world wants. They want pleasure, but they don't know where to find it. The Bible says in John 10, verse 10, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. God wants us to have abundant life. We can because we know Jesus. Do we see that, though? Do we see that we have the reason to have pleasure all the time because we know Jesus? The world seeks security, and we have it. John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I have given to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and nobody can pluck them out of his hand. So we have security. The world wants security. I mean, they do all kinds of things to get security. And some of our leaders, you know, they don't, they're against us having security, but they sure want security. And they've got armed guards around them and all of that. And they have security systems. Uh, everybody wants security. But we have security. I mean, even if you take our life, it's just absent from the body and present with the Lord. And the Lord says, nobody can pluck you out of my hand if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. So today we've examined spiritual eyesight. How well do you see? How well do you see the preeminence of the Savior? How well do you see the person of Satan? How well do you see the perverseness of sin, the priority of substance, and the perishing of the sinner, and the, pro and the provision of the Savior, and the pleasure of salvation? How well do we see these things? Well, if we don't see them well, we're going to miss we're going to miss some blessings from the Lord. Remember what it says in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 25? Your sins have withholden good things from you. Your sin has withholden good things from you. If we don't see things as they really are spiritually, we're going to be 
we're going to be experience loss because of that. We're going to close with this passage, but in Psalm 81, you don't have to turn there, but it says this in verse 12. So I gave them up into their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. God talking about Israel. He said, Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. If we can't see all that God has given us, and we can't see through the deception of, the, of, of Satan and all these things, if we can't have the spiritual eyesight that we should have, we're going to miss a lot of blessings. And the Lord said that to these people. I would have subdued your enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The, the haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their, t- they, but, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of wheat, and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. God is the one who knows what if. And God says, if you had seen, you would experience so much more. Let's not rob ourselves of blessings because we don't have the spiritual eyes to see the things that are so important. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for helping us to see. And Lord, we confess that sometimes our mind, our Our eyes are blinded because of wrong priorities. Our lives are blinded because of sin. Our eyes are blinded because just we don't spend the time we should in your word. Lord, we ask that as Christians we would have open eyes that we can see things clearly. If there's someone here today who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, I pray that they would have eyes to see that Jesus is the one who died for them shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, paid for their sins, rose from the grave the third day, and is ready, willing, and able to save them. I pray you work in hearts, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name.